that we are week two of our series on peace. And that is what we are just trusting God for uh, this Christmas. Uh, because if we think through the year that has been, uh, we can kind of sum up that uh, it has not been a year filled uh, with peace. We're in this weird space of feeling absolutely exhausted, but not knowing where all the time has gone. And uh, it's been a time of restlessness. And if you just think of what's happening, I mean, every single day we go into the news, there's just more stories uh, that frustrate us when it comes to uh, state capture, corruption, uh, kind of the state of our nation, uh, where everything's at. I mean, there was a, a big article posted this week about just how many South Africans are immigrating to Canada. And in fact, when I saw that, I, I decided to do a little bit of a friend audit to see how many of my friends have immigrated. And I started to think I'm the only one left. And uh, really, the, the people that I've known since finishing school and university, and, and, and I don't know if you're the same with how many people you're saying goodbye to, and I'm left going, am I missing something? You know, why is everybody leaving at the rate that they're leaving? And we kind of left with this. I wonder how many of you guys have had Christmas functions uh, in, the, in the last few weeks where it's just negative talk. You know, now load shedding has started, and that's just adding more woes to trying to wrap up the end of the year. And I mean, this week, most of us were inconvenienced uh, by it, and, and really just kind of the tone of where most of us are at is not that of peace. We're frustrated, we're restless, we're asking questions, we're uncertain, and it's tough And then when we looked last week, it kind of going into the, the kind of time period of the first Christmas, we kind of see there's a little bit of similarity in what they were experiencing. Remember, God's people, the nation of Israel, they've been uh, subjugated by Rome. They've been conquered, and now they have to kind of pay tributes and taxes to Rome, their conquerors. I mean, that's just an awful place to kind of be in. There's huge political tension. Guys are really frustrated at the military oppression that they're feeling as a nation. Added to that, God hasn't spoken in 400 years. They've just had to endure a silence from God. And that's kind of leading to this tone of restlessness. There's guys who kind of trying to lead revolts and, and things like that because no one is happy with the status quo. Right? You've got the Caesar who thinks he's divine and he's sent everybody to their hometown because he wants to get an accurate tally of people so he can kind of gloat to his friends and just be able to tax more money out of everyone. That's causing people to be restless. It's causing a lack of peace. And then we started by kind of what's kind of a core uh, passage for us in this series is one of the prophecies and many prophecies about Jesus coming out of the book of Isaiah. Because what people were looking forward to was a savior and the description of the savior coming out of Isaiah. Chapter nine says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Goes on to say, in the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
the zeal of the Almighty God will accomplish this. And some of those phrases are so important. And this is what was being longed for, was this Prince of Peace. Uh, someone who would come and establish this. And so when God breaks his silence in 400 years and starts to appear to people, the words are always, do not be afraid, I bring you great news and peace. Do not be afraid, I bring you peace. And really what I trust is for you this Christmas, this time of the year, is that you would be pursuing this peace and that you'd be realizing what is on offer for us and that we would be stepping into it. And when we looked at it last week, as just a reminder for us is that there are things that are going to hinder us having peace. Most of them are self-imposed. I mean, the first one is that uh, no peace uh, often is because there's no sovereignty, that we don't uh, sit under this rule and reign of our victorious Jesus, who has full control and command of everything that he created. And the first way for us to gain peace is to get to a place where we surrender to the rule and sovereign reign of our creator, Jesus. And our next major kind of self-imposed hindrance to the peace that Jesus brings is a word that we don't really like. And it's the word of contentment. Contentment. One of the things that is going to hinder us having peace in our lives is not being content with what we have in life and what we have been given by the Lord. Kind of some verses to help us start to unpack this because uh, Scripture speaks a lot about contentment. Comes up all over the place. First one being Ecclesiastes 4 verse 8. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother and there was no end to his toil yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Read that last statement or that statement again. His eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now to clarify, and we do state this a lot, uh, money is not the problem. In fact, producing money is not a problem. Producing money is not a sin. Uh, if you are good at business, the Lord has blessed you and you are wealthy, that's not the problem at all. What Jesus speaks into is saying the love of money and because people can't serve two masters. And what Ecclesiastes is pointing out here is that there was never enough. And somehow this person being referred to here in Ecclesiastes just pursued wealth and money above all else and was never satisfied with the amount of money in the bank accounts. I wonder how many of us at some point this year said, if only I had more money. If only I earned a little bit more. If only I, and you could add a couple of other things because it's not just money, but possessions and maybe a status in your life. If only I had a boyfriend, if only I was married, if only I had a bigger home, if only I had a different car, if only I had. I'm not gonna ask us to do a show of hands, but I think, yeah, too, too many hands would go up because I think many of us have asked the question of ourselves this year. If only I had, then there would be peace in my life. Then my problems would be gone. 
one of the spiritual giants in my life who've taught me some of the greatest truths about the Lord. Her name is uh, Marda. And uh, forgive me if you've heard me share the story, but the longer I'm here, the more I'm gonna refer back to this lady uh, because of how much she taught me in a very short space of time. Uh, Marda lives in rural Mozambique. And if you've ever been to rural Mozambique, uh, it's rural. And... um, because uh, I don't know what you think, uh, but there is zero infrastructure. There's no lights, there's no electricity, there's no sewage infrastructure, there are no roads. Uh, in, in fact, one of the churches I preached at, they were led on foot by landmine trackers. You know, that's the kind of situation that these guys are living in. And uh, there's no flushing toilets, there's no water on tap. In fact, you've got to dig wells, pump water, carry it. Uh, every house is kind of thatched uh, coconut palm fronds, that's uh, what they lived in. And uh, if you got sick, if you were battling with any kind of medical condition, uh, it was really hard for you. And so we would go and spend time in some of these villages. And one of the things we would do is just go and do kind of door-to-door evangelism, kind of going from a little cluster of huts and, and spending time with people. And on one of our trips, uh, we kind of went and just kind of walking through uh, just the bush, we came across this tiny little hut. And we called to see if anyone was home. And out shuffled Marda. And I say shuffle because she couldn't walk because uh, she had elephantitis. And uh, her situation was so bad because she had uh, such uh, bad mobility that she slept next to her long drop toilet uh, because she just couldn't move fast enough. And that was her life, was living and sleeping next to her toilet. So she kind of came out and uh, she had a bit of a mat and she sat there in her, her house and her garden. In fact, it was not much bigger than the stage. And we just said, hi, uh, we're Christians and we've come to just spend some time and encourage you she bursts into tears and she just starts singing. And that singing didn't stop for about an hour and a half. And her sister stayed a little bit down the way and she kind of heard Marta singing and and came to check what was going on. And Marta just wouldn't engage in conversation. She was just singing. And so her sister and I, uh, she spoke to us and the the group we were with. Turns out that uh, Marta was a believer. She got saved. Soon after getting saved, she developed elephantitis and stopped being able to go to church and we're the first Christians who had visited her in seven years. No, no. Her sister went to tell us every night I fall asleep to Marda worshiping and praying that for seven years she was alone living next to her toilets unable to walk but could praise Jesus and worship him every single night. And in that moment we came there to minister to her and we were, we were kind of shattered. And, and the phrase that has stuck with me is the words of Paul where he said, my grace is sufficient for you. She had Jesus and that was enough. You know, what we get caught up in, and this is why I say contentment is our own worst enemies because who's better off? A lady with elephantitis living next to her toilets or us where we've got this money to buy these houses and gardens and cars and possessions and who's better off? She was so content that it left us asking so many questions about our lives. And that's why the the writer in uh, Ecclesiastes, Solomon can go, what a meaningless task, this pursuit of wealth. 
Because someone with nothing can praise Jesus and worship him every single night. It just blew us away. Realizing that my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I looked at this lady and I still think she is, uh, she dwarfs me. I, I'm, I, I'm uh, like minute when it comes to things of faith compared to this lady, even now as I stand here. Because of her understanding of grace and her love for Jesus despite her circumstances. Because we could maybe have godliness, but without contentment, we don't understand the full things of the Lord because we're not concerned and are not content with God. What you have given me in this life, the things that I have, what lessons are you teaching me? How are you growing me? How can I use this to bless others? See, because without contentment, we complain. Without contentment, we think God's got it wrong. Without contentment, we miss uh, the transforming work of the Lord in our lives. But when we have godliness and contentment, that's when we start to really grow. Because then we're at peace with our circumstances. We really see what the Lord is doing in the midst of all our circumstances. It was Paul who then also encouraging the believers in Philippians 4. He says this from verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not uh, saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I know we love quoting that verse. It's like, you know, Christian bumper sticker number one. Uh, the context of that is Paul talking through his ability to have contentment. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to be content with everything that we are experiencing in this life. And Paul, knowing what it was like to be well-fed, knowing what it was like to be hungry, knowing plenty, knowing very little, and knowing God's strength that enabled him to endure and understand what the Lord was doing in his life through all of that. And so, no sovereignty, no peace, no contentment is going to mean no peace in our lives and I know it's coming around to Christmas, and I, I was thinking back to um, some Christmas memories uh, that we have as a family. And I was in early high school, and uh, I was living in East London at the time, and we drove to Port Elizabeth to visit my grandparents. And just to clear up, because I know a lot of people get this wrong, East London and Port Elizabeth are two different towns, um, about uh, three and a half hours apart. And so we uh, were visiting my grandparents Christmas Day, uh, early hours of the morning. We got a phone call uh, to say that uh, it looks like our house has been broken into. Uh, and how they knew is our front gate was off its rails, kind of lying at the side, and our dogs were in the road. Uh, we need to get home as soon as we can. And so uh, we got woken up as kids, uh, put into the car, and we had to make the, the three and a half hour drive back home uh, to kind of see what's been done. 
And uh, I know that talking about home invasions and break-ins is a, a sensitive thing to talk about, and uh, many of you experience some, some rough things with this. But when you get the call to have to go home uh, because your home has been broken into, a whole bunch of things are kind of ticking through your head. And uh, we became aware quite uh, quickly that this, uh, this one was bad. Uh, particularly for me, I walked into my room and all I was left with in my bedroom was kind of those gray short school pants and uh, one school shirt that even taken my bedding and uh, put all my clothes and tied up my bedding and taken the bedding off my bed, had put it into my mom's brand new red Corsa and driven off and uh, literally taken everything. Now it's Christmas day, so we still want to have a meal as a family, but they took all our food. And so we actually had no food and, uh, you know, there's Woolworths, food wasn't as it is now, open on Christmas, restaurants open on Christmas Day. Uh, my mom managed to find an engine that was open, and somehow a chicken materialized out of somewhere. She found some cabbage, a, a few carrots and some potatoes. And uh, in this house that had been like, completely ransacked and was a mess of note, we managed to cook out this little Christmas meal together. And uh, it was one of the most special memories because, because we live in such a consumeristic world and kind of shops love Christmas because they're selling a lifestyle, uh, you, you know, they're kind of pushing you that you're only going to have joy in Christmas if you buy this and give this as a gift. And, you know, we spend so much money on overeating and wasting food and having all of these things there. To have all of that stripped away and to eat a very simple meal, well, it sounds simple, for us as Christmas, we really go all out and more, that's kind of lavish for what a lot of people eat. It was an emotional moment. But then being content and realizing, what do we still have? What do we still have? And really just, uh, just thriving in the, the joy of, wow, what a meal. Look at our family. We still have this and we still have this. And the lie of kind of consumerism is that you're not happy until. Every magazine, it's selling a lifestyle that so few people actually have. You know, we use this phrase often um, in church, you know, with social media, we're comparing our day-to-day with other people's highlights reels. We're kind of looking out and going, oh, I wish I had that, and I wish I had that. And I wish I had that. And I'm not happy because I I don't have that. And I need that in my life. And I need that. And because we're living there, we can never be content with how much we have here. And it takes moments when we realize something's gone and they go, oh, wow, I don't actually, I didn't need that. And look at what I do have. And what I do have is enough. And we're always kind of imposing discontentment on ourselves. And of course, we live in a consumeristic society, so we're always going to be warring against that. And that's going to be our fight the whole time, is to get to a place of going, wow, look what I have. It's enough. I'm content. Lord, thank you for what you have given me. Thank you for where my life is at right now. Because when we're wishing for something to come. When I have this, I'll be happy. When I have that, then it's going to mean something. Man, we're not enjoying what's happening right now. And we're missing out on so much. 
It's so important to be aware of that, to get to the kind of level of gratitude that we need to be having. Of course, think back again to the first Christmas, and I, and I love some of the stuff that was happening there. And we speaking about uh, Mary and Joseph, kind of the key characters in the Christmas story, and uh, what was happening in their lives, right? They were engaged to be married. Some of you guys have journeyed through that. Uh, you know that it is a stressful time, uh, just as it is to kind of plan the perfect wedding and to kind of get the guest list right and to nail down the color scheme so that both moms are happy and, you know, just to organize the menu so that everyone with their food intolerances can enjoy themselves. And, you know, we've been to weddings. We kind of know the excitement around that. And Mary and Joseph are pledged to be married. And it does not go according to plan, right? She falls pregnant. We know the cultural dynamics around that. That was not a good thing. And many of you guys have had babies. Not guys, many of you girls. Uh, ladies, women have had babies, and also, you know, just the kind of society we live in, the moment someone finds out that you're pregnant, then uh, the 21 questions starts. Is it a boy? Are you going to find out the gender? Gender reveal party, and then that's got to be perfect. And then you've got to kind of uh, post on Pinterest and social media what the room's going to look like, uh, just because you're competing with every other mom in the whole world to have the perfect room and all of those kinds of things. And it's just got to be perfect and those expectations that you put on yourself, and any woman here knows that it never goes according to plan when baby kind of kicks into I want to come out mode now. And here it is with Mary as well. You know, it's just a, a really uh, just intense environment because they've had to go back to their hometown. And uh, we love the Christmas story, and we talk about it, and you've seen the plays. There was no room for them in the inn. And uh, this is a new revelation that I kind of picked up. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. It was Joseph's hometown. Everyone was going back to the hometown, meaning his family were there, and there was no room for him. Imagine that as a Christmas homecoming. Hey, mom and dad, here's my pregnant fiance. Sorry, you can't stay here. That didn't go as expected. There was no room for them in the inn. Oh, you're the guy who didn't uh, publicly disown his uh, unfaithful bride-to-be. No, you can't stay here. Which is why there was no room for them in an inn. Right, this is a family-orientated culture in his hometown where he would have had family and no one would take them in. Talk about being discontent and things not going uh, how they should have gone that she kind of gives birth and has to put him, put Jesus in a manger. And this is what it says in Luke 2. And I love this. I think this is sometimes so missed in the story. Luke 2, verse 6. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Nothing went according to plan for this young couple. Nothing. Right? Nothing. And if they had been left angry and bitter at their lot in life 
And many of us are. And they had right to be. Yet here Mary says, and instead of her, that she treasured up these things in her heart. I wonder how many of us this morning can look at what your life is like right now. In the midst of the pain, the frustration, the restlessness, everything that's going on, but you can treasure up in your heart what's going on because for her, she was right in the midst of God's saving plan for humanity. And she had shifted gears and and instead of looking at her circumstances and how everybody was viewing them, but she trusted, she believed God in her circumstances and was able to treasure them up in her heart. I mean, I know some of your stories are hard, but I love those words. And what would it say to the rest of our community when they look at our lives, go, how can you have so much joy at your situation? How can you be at peace with what's going on in our country? How can you be treasuring these things? Yeah, because, I mean, the Lord is good. And He is in control. And He's doing something in my life. And I don't want to miss that. I'm not, not looking forward to a day when this is all gone. I'm enjoying right now what the Lord is doing and producing in me. That's why I have so much joy. That's why I'm so content with what I have. With what I have. That's why I'm, I'm able to store up and treasure and ponder in my heart what's going on because I'm right in the midst of what the Lord is doing in my life. Just think it's an amazing thing that Mary is, it's said of her, that in the midst of all of this, she just treasures up in her heart. See, when it comes to peace and contentment, you know, we can really miss stuff as believers because what we do hope for is, and again, the Greeks missed this, the Jews themselves missed this. The kind of savior that they were hoping for was a savior that would deal with their temporary issues. Right? The, the Jews were trusting for a savior who would come and bring peace from Roman occupation that would raise them up and kind of chase Rome away and then they would be happy because Rome wasn't there. That's what they were looking for and hoping for, which is why they missed Jesus. And the mistake that we make and, and when it comes to Jesus and why we can uh, miss how easy it is to have contentment and peace now is because we still think that Jesus died on the cross to make us happy now. And that the death of Jesus was to sort out my economic issues and maybe my health issues and that's why he died. And we miss the fact that Jesus didn't die to uh, give us peace in this world and in this lifetime, but to give us eternal peace in the next one. And the faith that Mary and Joseph were able to have is they trusted God before his, uh, the birth of Jesus and they were only at the beginning of the unfolding of the story. What's incredible for us is we've got the knowledge of the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus and the promise of the return of Jesus. And the space that we're currently living in is Jesus has ascended and said, I'm coming back. So we operate from a place of the complete victory of Jesus over not the problems that we have of this world, but the ultimate problems that we had between us and God. And the mission of Jesus was not to bring peace for my life right now, but to bring peace between myself and God. 
And the problem in this world is not that I don't have enough money. My problem in this world was that God called me his enemy. And I can have all the money I want in the world. It's not gonna solve the fact that God is my enemy. And it doesn't matter how many possessions I have. It doesn't matter the house I live in. It doesn't matter what country I live in. Uh, nothing in this world that I can produce from an economic point of view to make me happy would ever solve the problem I had with my biggest restlessness and lack of peace, which is uh, I was an enemy of God and death uh, was going to be uh, my end and ultimately then face separation from God. And Jesus coming did not solve their peace right then and there. It solves our ultimate need for peace and solves our ultimate restlessness and defeats our ultimate enemy, which is death. And it reunites us with God our Father, uh, moves us from being enemy to friend, adopted into his family. And what could be better than that? Nothing. You can't put a price on the fact that that biggest problem in my life, which is sin and death and being an enemy, is ended by Jesus. And my peace and contentment comes that it does not matter what I endure in this life. Everything is secure in Christ for the next one. And my ability to endure in this life is the hope that I have of the next. I cannot take anything with me. Cannot take a single thing with me into the next life. Someone else is gonna spend it uh, if I die before the return of Jesus. But I am not going to have a perfect life. Uh, death still remains. We will experience pain in this world because sin persists until the return of Jesus. And so we cannot be guaranteed a life without pain and without uh, or be fully at peace in this world just because of what still remains. But what gets us through that is the knowledge of what is coming and Jesus Christ and the renewal of all things. This is why I love so much the words that Paul writes in Romans chapter eight. And I want us to end with this as kind of a, a declaration. Uh, and then we're gonna end with uh, a song that we sang earlier. And this is really important. And we're always gonna be battling with contentment. Things are always gonna be fighting uh, and telling us that we need that and we need more and we're uh, unhappy with what we have. And we were gonna be wrestling to get to a place of Jesus. I'm content now because of what you've done already and what's still coming. And so why don't you stand with me? And, and I'm gonna read these words for us. And, and this is big. It's, it's coming from Romans 8.31. And this is, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? 
as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can we say amen to that? Can we, can we step into a place of contentment and peace? Because nothing in all of creation will separate us from the love of Christ. Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would well up in our hearts the knowledge and the security that comes from you, our victorious Saviour. That because you are sovereign and on the throne, that you are the author of all creation, you're able to say to us that nothing in my creation that I rule over has any hold on you. You are mine. Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. Jesus, I pray that you would bring us to a place of contentment, that we can genuinely say it is well with my soul, that what I have is enough more than enough. That what I'm experiencing, I'm able to lift my eyes and say, Jesus, what are you doing in my life? Help me see what you are producing in me. Help me see my circumstances as a gift from you to shape me, to mold you, to trust me more. That the only thing worth pursuing in this life is greater intimacy with you. Not the things of this world that will pass away that are ultimately meaningless but that I'm able to be content and to pursue you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.